0: We're going to cover the whole chapter of Acts, uh, Acts 3, and so we're just picking up where Aaron left last week and continuing to read. So I've titled um, today's talk, Our Greatest Need is Jesus, and we'll see that through healing, through gospel proclamation, um, and the, the offer of repentance as well at the end of Acts 3. So let me say a quick prayer for us, and, uh, and we'll dive in to Acts 3. Father God, you are holy and righteous. Um, we come to you, and we are in desperate need. And I pray that you would show us this morning that our greatest need is Jesus, and that we have no hope apart from him. I pray all these things in his name. Amen. So Acts 3, we'll start in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So we'll stop right here. We'll we'll take some breaks and just kind of expound upon the prior verses. So coming off of the heels of last week, so last week we saw the response of the men and women at Pentecost. And then that verses, in verses 42 through 47, you kind of get a, a, a groundwork and a foundation of what the early church looked like. And so right here we see in verse one, we don't know the time separation. Um, it could have been right after Pentecost. We don't really know the time separation. But you see, if you, look at, if you look back to chapter two in verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together. So Peter and John, are just acting like Christians. They're just being obedient to God's word. They're going to the temple. Um, they're going up at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and that was at 3 p.m. So this is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So immediately you see here the obedience of spirit-filled followers of Christ, going to the temple um, and being with, being with God's people. So our first point in these first 10 verses, we're seeing the confirmation of the gospel confirmation of the gospel um, through the healing of a lame man. And then you also see in verse 2, and a man lame from birth was being carried, um, who they laid daily at the gate of the temple. You see the stark contrast here. You see Peter and John going up to the temple, and you see the lame man who was not not being able to go into the temple. Recognize that he's being laid at the gate of the temple, the gate called the beautiful gate. You may be wondering, well, why, did, why did Luke include the name of that gate? It could be for irony, um, as Patrick Schreiner in his commentary on Acts says, irony pervades this scene as a lame man sits at the beautiful temple gate at the hour of prayer while the pious pray inside. Truly the temple has become a den of robbers and lacks the life-giving reality it was meant to embody. And we're going to see the Spirit of God extending past the temple walls with resurrection power and with healing power in just a moment. This lame man, his lot day by day was not attending the temple together. It was not um, going in and praising God. It was instead to ask for money. This was his main source of income, being there and asking for alms, which was asking um, for money. But things are soon going to change for him. What he thinks is his greatest need, he's really about to be shown his greatest need is Jesus. So we'll keep reading in Acts 3. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So what may seem insensitive or maybe even rude that Peter would say, hey, buddy, like, pay attention, look at us. He's drawing his attention and saying, hey, look, something big is about to happen. You're not just about to receive money. You're not just about to receive gold. You're about, your life is about to change. And so he turns an expectation and he's turning an expectation as it says in verse five, excuse me, um, to expecting to receive something from them, expecting to receive money. And oftentimes, I think we can see ourselves in these verses. How much often do we think what our greatest need is? And Jesus actually shows that our greatest need is something else. And we're going to see that as we keep moving on. So verse 6, this is where everything changes. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So first you see Peter actually addressing this man's request. He says, look, I don't have any money. I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have I'm going to offer to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So what exactly is Peter giving to this man? As we saw in Acts 2, uh, Peter and the rest of the disciples who were in Jerusalem were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on his followers. So Peter is offering healing and restoration through the power of the risen Jesus. This is resurrection power on full display. We're going to see this later on um, as we think about the gospel and what the resurrection accomplishes for our lives. And so you see in this, in this short account that everything is changing in this man's life. Uh, one note of importance here is that Jesus' name and power is effective. We don't read in this story, and after some time, the man was healed and was able to walk. We don't read that. We don't read, and 15 minutes later, his feet and ankle bones were given some time to heal, and then he was able to walk. No, it says immediately. Immediately, he was healed. The power of Jesus working through the Spirit has immediate effect in this man's life. <clears throat> and so um, he has power to heal, he has power to forgive sins. He is the only one to do so. And you think about this man, as we read later in Acts chapter four and verse 22, we read that he was more than 40 years old. So for four decades, this man's lot was to sit at the gate of the temple to ask for alms. He probably never expected to walk. He probably never expected um, to go into Uh, to go into the temple. And so once again, Patrick Schreiner in his commentary on Acts says, even though Jesus has ascended, he still actively restores from his throne room in heaven by the power of the spirit. The temple expands as the spirit applies the life-giving work of Jesus to outcast. And we can even learn something from this man's response. He begins to leap and he walked and he praised God. This lame man once an outcast, once seen as an outcast by many, is brought in to the community of early Christians. He goes and walks into the temple with the people. Um, And this may be the very first time that he entered the temple. And so by the power of Jesus, um, he is able to do so. And so there's a crowd here and there's a crowd that responds. So let's see the crowd's response here in verses nine and 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So Luke is now providing the outsider's perspective. What are other people thinking about what's going on? Um, And we'll see later in chapter four, next week as Aaron talks about chapter four, that some were so opposed to this healing, they threw Peter and John in jail but some actually believed some believed and believed in the message that Peter preached um, at the end of acts three. So first is the acknowledgement from the people that there actually was healing the same man who sat down at the gate. And you can imagine these people have been going to the temple and probably have seen this man, maybe not the same people for 40 years, but this same man who is laying on the ground asking for money. He's walking around It's pretty crazy. And they're astonished at this. They're astonished at what is going on. Now, it's important to note here that the astonishment may be in just the power and the the sign. And uh, I thought Aaron did a good job of talking about this last week as you're driving in the Grand Canyon. When you see the sign that says, look, Grand Canyon, 10 miles, you're not going to be astonished at the sign. You're going to be astonished at the Grand Canyon. That sign is pointing to the Grand Canyon. So what God is doing here is he's healing in hopes that people would behold Jesus. And Peter makes this explicit in his sermon that this man whom you see and know was healed by Jesus. It wasn't my piety. It wasn't my holiness. It was Jesus. It was the power of the Spirit working in and through me. So how do our hearts react? Do we leap? Do we praise God when the Spirit moves in our lives? When we see a brother or sister baptized? Do our hearts stir within us? Are we moved by the power of the gospel? When we hear the word preached, when we sing the word, how do our hearts respond to that? Is it dull? Is it empty? What's going on? It should be praise. When we think about the love of God, the love of our Father through the Son on the cross. What love is this? That while we were ungodly, Christ died for us. This is the kind of love that God shows. And as everything in the Bible, I think it's so important to see that this scene was orchestrated by God. So God was doing this, He was offering healing power. For a certain people, for these people in the temple that need to know, no, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one. As you read your Old Testament, Moses, the prophets, Samuel have been speaking of this moment. So repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So this moment was orchestrated by God. um, and And the point of this healing is to behold Jesus. And Peter wants to make this point in his sermon. So we're going to keep moving forward and go to our second point. And Peter makes in these first um, few verses, verse 11 through 16, the confession of the gospel. What is the gospel? So we just saw the confirmation of the gospel. Now let's see the confession of the gospel. So we'll pick up in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, that is the lame man now healed, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. I can imagine there probably wasn't a lot of running going on in the temple back in that day. So this is very unusual. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our, our own power or piety, we have made this man walk? So Peter, he's deflecting here. You can probably think what Peter's go, thinking is going through his head. I can think about this. He's thinking, wait, these people think that I have power to heal? These people will believe that by my own holiness that I was able to make this man walk? Jesus, by the Spirit, has moved through Peter, and he's wanting, to do, he's wanting to show us this. And so God calls Peter to be obedient. He calls us to be obedient as well, as we read in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the good works that we perform, God prepares those beforehand. It's not us. It's not our own holiness. It's not our own power. It's God working in and through us. Peter wants everyone in the temple to know by what name and by what power this man was healed. Jesus Christ. So he first starts talking about God, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. And and I think what he's trying to do here is he's trying to connect with the people and and he's trying to show them that, look, this Jesus whom you killed and whom you denied, this isn't a new religion. He's not promoting a new religion. He's promoting a fulfillment of what you already believe, of what you already read about. Abraham knew who I was. Isaac knew who I was. Jacob knew who I was. And so this healing power is found in no new religion. It's found in the fulfillment of the son of God. And so Peter accuses the crowd of three things. And each one of them, as we move forward, they become even more indicting as we go through them. So the first one is they delivered and denied Jesus in the presence of Pilate. So as Luke's readers would probably understand as they're reading through Acts, they've probably already read through Luke. And so they know this story. And, and, and Peter is saying, look, you were even there, you did it. And so what is he talking about? What is he talking about when he says, denied in the presence of Pilate? So this goes back to Luke 23. You don't have to go there, but I'll just try to summarize. Pontius Pilate is examining Jesus and he finds no guilt in him. But the crowd, they gathered together and as it was custom they asked for one of them to be released. And they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, talking about Jesus. And Pontius Pilate is like, look, I don't find any guilt in him. I don't understand what you've seen and what he's done that is wrong. And they're like, no, give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. Give us the leader of the insurrection. And so the crowd continues in uproar and they get Barabbas and Barabbas is released. And he talks about this in the second point in verse 14 but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So this is, this is connected here. Murder, holy and righteous. The one that you wanted to release was the lawbreaker. And the one who was crucified was the only holy and righteous one. It doesn't make sense. And Peter softens the blow here in a little bit in verse 17. And, and even Jesus does from the cross. And we'll see that in a little bit. Verse 15, the third thing he says, and you killed the author of life. The very God who created life itself died. What love is this that he would do such a thing? But even death could not thwart the plans of God. Even wicked men who act in ignorance, could not thwart what God had planned. And so, even though Jesus had died, God still accomplishes his purposes by raising him from the dead. God will accomplish his purposes on earth. The nations may rage and the peoples may plot in vain, but our Lord who sits in the heavens laughs. And so, whatever may be going on in your life right now, that seems unbearable. God sees you. I'm reminded of Exodus, um, as God saw his people in Egypt, He says, um, "As his people were suffering under the oppressive rule of Pharaoh, said God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant. And he acted, God acted. God acted through the burning bush. He acted by sending His servant Jesus. So we'll finish up point two here with verse 16 coming back to the original question that Peter asked in verse 12, why do you wonder at this? Do you think it was by our own power? And he says in verse 16, in his name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter's drawing the crowd back in to explain Jesus, whom you denied in the presence of Pilate, whom you killed, whom you delivered over, whom you denied the holy and righteous one, this Jesus, he has power to heal. He has power to save. And so um, he wants to show the people that Jesus is the one who did this. It could have been very easy for Peter to say, yeah, look at me. I did do that. No. The goal of Peter's life and the goal of our life should be to the glory of God, to the glory of God, who is the holy and righteous one and the author of life. So we'll conclude um, starting in verse 17.3, the calling of the gospel. So we've seen the confirmation of the gospel and the healing of the lame man. And now, and then we saw the confession of the gospel. Now we're going to see the calling of the gospel. So picking up in verse seventeen. Peter's kind of starting off a new point here. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of all the prophets long ago. So Peter's driving home his message right here. He's, he's turning back and, and, he's, and he's saying, look, I know what I said, but I'm, but I'm softening the blow here. And even, even Jesus says this, Jesus says this in Luke 23, 34. As he's going to the cross, he says, "'Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.'" Jesus, who knows the hearts of all men, says, "'Father, please forgive them.'" Because they don't, they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand they're acting in ignorance. And that is, own, that is God's grace and mercy in our life, that God says, "'Look, I know that you've acted in ignorance, um, but I'm going to give you mercy and grace anyways.'" And then Peter's command is is repent. So repent, therefore, in light of all this, in light of everything that you've done, repent of your sins. And if we repent, then Peter promises three things here. So first one in verse 19 is that your sins will be blotted out. And this is great news. Blotted out is a strong word. Jesus will remember them no more. God will remember them no more. God in Christ has power to forgive us of our sins. If we repent and turn from our wicked ways, Jesus will remember our sins no more. And secondly, it says times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Don't we all need times of refreshing? Whether you feel overwhelmed by school right now, sports, band, extracurriculars, we all feel overwhelmed a lot of times. Times of refreshing, our sins being blotted out. This is really good news. And you can imagine, this is really good news for these people, as it is good news for us. The crowd may be wondering, refreshing, forgiveness of sins to me, but, but doesn't God know what, what I've done? I killed his son. I was the one who denied him in the presence of Pilate. How can that God forgive my sins? How can that God offer me refreshing? And God says, yes, I know. But my son Jesus, my servant Jesus, bore your sin on the cross so that you might die to sin and live to righteousness, as Peter tells us later on in 1 Peter 2. We all need refreshing, and that's a promise. It's a promise that we will be refreshed by the Lord if we repent of our sins. And third, repentance from sin will bring refreshment when Christ returns. And this is our hope. If you're a Christian here today, this is not your home. We live in the here and now, and Acts is so prominent on this as messengers, as ambassadors of the gospel, as ambassadors of Christ. But one day, our Lord will return. Patrick Schreiner says again, the second coming of Jesus is a time of blessing for those who repent. He continues, in referring to the lame man walking, the lame man's healing foreshadows what is to come. It is a peek into the future of when Christ comes and restores all things. But on the other hand, when Christ comes and you don't repent of your sins, it will be a time of sorrow. It will be a time um, for people who did not repent, that there will be eternal torment. But it doesn't have to be that way. God offers Christ and he offers repentance through him. So let's wrap up Peter's sermon in the last five verses, starting in verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So Peter starts out by saying the fact that once again, we're promoting no new religion. If you understand Moses correctly, if you understand Samuel correctly, if you understand all the prophets, then you would know they're talking about Jesus. They're talking about this Jesus who has ascended and now the spirit is working. And we should know that too. When we read our old testaments, We should read them like Peter reads them. We should read them like the apostles read them and know that the prophets, that Moses are all talking about Jesus. It's all a longing for the Messiah to come and turn us away from our wickedness by blessing us. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus comes to bless and to turn. He is the one who does it. He is the one who blesses and turns us from our own wickedness. He offers forgiveness of sin, times of refreshing, and he promises to return to earth to bring his people home. So as we wrap up, how do we apply this to our life? We'll talk more about it in our groups, uh, but two things. One, the message is clear on this. Today, if you haven't repented And turn from your sins, you need to do so. And the promise of that is that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, that you'll be refreshed as Jesus comes back. So the call is very clear from Peter and from God's word. Repent of your sins and turn back, that they may be blotted out. And two, I think this is really important, going back to verse 19, what we just talked about, is as Christians, As we share the gospel with others, as we share the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has come and that he offers forgiveness of sins, talk about these promises. Say, if you repent, one, your sin, which is great, will be blotted out. But two, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus came that we might have life. And might have abundant life, as he tells us in John 10.10. And talk about the preparation of the second coming of Christ. Christ will come. It's a stated fact that we know and that we put our hope towards. And so as you share the gospel in confidence, offer these things that as Christ returns, you will be refreshed. You will be refreshed by the coming of the Lord. You'll be refreshed by his appearing instead of the great sorrow that you'll experience if you don't repent. So today, if you haven't repented, repent and come to Christ, repent and come to him. So we see that the lame man, although he thought what his greatest need was silver and and gold and, just what he needed for the rest of that day, and then come back the next day. But Jesus appears on the scene through the Spirit to show him, no, your greatest need is me. And I have power. I have effective power to heal you. And we can't know for certain whether this man was saved at that moment, but he certainly had a big life change. He walks and leaps and praises God. And so Jesus offers forgiveness of sins. He offers refreshing. And he offers the promise that, his, that he will return and restore all things.